Well, we have a beautiful Sabbath. Good to be here again. Nice and warm today. The only announcement that my wife gave me was, remember, time changes tonight. They ought to leave it alone because it's already confused. It's <laughs> easily confused. If you notice, we've been hauling dirt again, hadn't you? Or rock, thanks to uh, John and spending a lot of time out there. He has to struggle driving my New Holland. <laughs> but we uh, our John Deere broke down, and I think we've got it fixed. Or at least we've got a tire fixed for it. Why are you here? Have you given it a lot of thought and keep thinking back your reasons for coming out here to uh, the desert? I've uh, been writing this down, and I was, a question brought up to me the other day, or yesterday, I guess it was, and uh, I'd already had this down, so nothing new. I, I just didn't reveal that I'd already been thinking about this. But have you thought about and consistently think about why you chose Desert Southwest? I know for me, um, I was given a given five tapes of the Minor Prophets. I heard the first tape, and I said, "It was like a new calling." To me, it was like a new calling. I can remember back. Um, in 62, I can remember hearing a man on the broad, on the radio. Well, I've listened to a lot of them because I hadn't gone to church for years then. I'd been separated from my wife for uh, 15 months. It was nice to be back with my wife, and now we, you know, we hadn't been going to church. And the voice on the radio, it was real interesting because the first thing I noticed, he wasn't trying to get into my wallet. And so many of them were. You know, one guy, 30-minute uh, broadcast, and out of that 30 minutes, I think he asked for money for uh, 25 minutes of it. <laughs> Give you a five-minute, one passage. The rest of the time, you know, contribute, contribute, you know, help us. We do this work, and, you know, we need your money. And, and But this man never said anything about money. He just said, take this book and blow the dust off of it. And I thought, well, I've read the Bible at least uh, once in a while. He said, don't believe me. Don't believe what I have to say. See if it fits the Bible. And so then came a lot of other booklets. But, you know, over the years, it was easy to be really excited when I first came into church. I was really excited. I mean, we gave up family. My wife and I moved to Texas. Our families lived in Florida. We gave up a lot just to be out here, to be out rather out there where, where we thought was the right place to be. So we gave up our family history, things that our families loved. I remember my parents said to go send us Christmas gifts. And we said, well, you know... Uh, don't send us Christmas gifts because we might have to send them back. So they sent us boxes of stuff in November and latter part of November, 1st of December, but they didn't wrap them up. It was hard. It was really a difficult 
change over. But then years go by, don't they? You know, you give up television, you don't, you don't have a television, you raise your children based on biblical standards, and it became easy to slip to what everyone else was doing. You know, it was easy to uh, maybe not spank your children. It was easy maybe not to uh, uh, not turn the TV on. It was easy to eat anything. I can remember the last Passover that I went, or a night to be much observed, I went with Worldwide with somebody I thought was really a solid member of the Church of God. They ordered bread and shrimp and lobster, and I thought, man, what's with these people? I mean, I knew better than that. Before that happened, though, I can remember coming up to me and saying, you know, we had those tapes by Dr. Stavronides who said, God is a blob. Well, he's, you know, God's a trinity, you know, and you'll be all absorbed in the, in the, uh, Star Trek, was it? Condom, you know, whatever they call that thing, that, the collective, the collective there. And I thought, man, that's what he's talking about. We're all going to be absorbed in the collective and be, be bored, I guess. <laughs> But that didn't bother me because I went up and said, you know, you can, I told the pastor, I said, I was giving sermonettes, and I said, you know, I, I don't believe that. I've proved that. Solid proof back in the 60s, 64 and 65, that there was no trinity as the church is teaching, beginning to teach. And I said, so it's not going to affect my personal salvation. But how many people fell for it? How many people fell for that? 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, Do you see your calling? You know, Do you see the calling that God gave to you? So I'm going to really come up to why we're here. Do you see that calling? You know, in Revelation 2, verse 4 to Ephesus, it said, I've got someone against you because you left your first love. Well, maybe people don't have that love anymore. You know, Gordon speaking on our communication. In a sense, it's our love for each other and our love for God. If we have that kind of love, then we're not going to go out there and look at a brother or a sister and try to find every mistake they make because we're human we open our mouth and eat food. We have to open our nose or mouth and breathe in air. We're all the same. I can remember that talking to when Worldwide broke up and the pastor came by the house and he wasn't convinced that I was going to hold to all the minister's ideas. And I said, hey, we're on this earth. We're all human. We all have the same plane we live on. That your responsibility is to teach me how to go to God, not to go to you and then to God. That's a round-the-corner thing. You're directed to God. And he was upset about that because he felt I didn't give him respect. But I did respect him. He was the pastor. He was the man teaching, showing me the direction that I needed to go in. But he also wanted me to follow every whim that they were teaching. And I'd already found out 
I don't keep Trinity. I'm not going to keep Christmas. I did a sermonette based on my understanding and what the worldwide taught on Christmas, and it was changed, and I was called on the carpet for that because I felt, you don't keep Christmas. But they were going into that direction. So I have to ask myself, why did I come out here? Well, I see that. And I think on Matthew 25, verse 1, you know, like that little area right there talks about the ten virgins. Why is it that five of those just couldn't make it? And five of them did. Because when I came in the church, when God opened my understanding, I didn't choose God's way of life. I was happy as a bug in a rug when doing my own thing. It worked being a uh, National Guard staff sergeant and made it quick and make more money. But God had other ideas. So when we came into church, we blew the dust off our Bible. We proved what was in the Scriptures. And apparently, half the church didn't do that. Because to me, it's really crazy that we could walk away from something so fantastic as this. So I had a calling. But then I remember those five tapes on the Minor Prophets. I heard the first tape. And you know it was like there in Revelation 4, or 2, 4? I could remember that first love. And it was a reawakening to something that I hadn't done before. And it's important that we get back and start thinking, why did I come out here? What brought you to this place? Was it Daryl Henson? I'm telling you, it was God. God opened your mind and he used the minor prophets for... I can look out here and I can see a, a number of people that are here because they heard the minor prophets and they were reawakened. It's like the ten virgins. And it says, the bridegroom comes. Well, five of them woke up and said, okay, the bridegroom comes. Um, um, where do I go? Or what's next? Because they, they never had the right foundation. Now, you young people out here, you small children up through teens and early that are still looking toward baptism and stuff, I think if you will take... God's Word and go through it. And like my wife did, she wrote down every scripture that was in the Bible correspondence course. Every scripture. Well, some of us can't write that good. Some of us is more difficult. It's more laborious so we don't write everything out, but we listen and listen and listen and listen. So what I'm saying here is you're here because of the minor prophets, right? Go back over them. There's so much you don't know. I've heard those things probably four or five times or more, you know, some of them more than others. And every time I think, how come I didn't hear that before? Because there's so much there. So why are you here? Basically because of the minor prophets, right? Or better yet, 
because God took that computer, you know, it's between your ears and your eyes, you know, that thing back up inside your head, it's a massive computer, far greater than anything man can do. It has so much capacity if we could only grasp how to utilize it. But we don't know. We haven't reached that point. And so that computer then, as we heard in the, in the feast about the heart, it causes the heart that goes out and has the love. So you are here because God penetrated that computer. He turned the right switch or dialed in, typed in the right figures, whatever it is, and caused you to see that you should be here. But are we all the way here? Are we all the way here? Sometimes we don't go to the commitment that we committed ourselves to when we were baptized or rebaptized. When we read or heard that first minor prophet tape and said, Wow, why didn't I hear that before? Are we fulfilling that commitment? We've had sermons for now eight years that tell you you have to change, repent, turn around. But here in Revelation 18, verse 4, it's interesting because we are here because God brought you here and it says in Revelation 18, 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her. Here's a voice that said to me in the Minor Prophets, I don't know, maybe something else triggered your mind. Something else might be important. It's like um, Mr. Armstrong saying, Prove the Bible. Prove who God is. Uh, change. Here it says, Come out of her. He's really telling you to put this world aside. Come out of this world. Come out of her, my people. So those that he opens their mind, he's saying, you are my people. So you hear some of the things I call my people. God says, I'm calling my people. So you are part of God's people. He wants you to come out of it. And he tells you why, that you be not partakers of their sins. And so it's important that we recognize that God brought us here to the desert southwest to come out of this world. And he put us in a place that we're not right in it, we're close to it, but he wants us to come out of it all the way. It's a, it's a thing that you have to work on. Because he said if you partakers of their sins, then you're going to receive of their plagues. And we've studied the scriptures enough, hopefully, to realize that this world's going into a tremendous, horrible time when 90% of people are going to die. We're talking about billions of people. Billions of people. Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah 51, verse 6. God wants you to, to be divorced from the world and be married to Him, right? 
You know what the scripture says? A man, he'll leave his father and his mother and join to his wife and they become a new unit. God wants us to be divorced from the world and join to him to be one in the God family. Jeremiah 51 verse 6 says, Free from the midst of Babylon. What is Babylon? Confusion? Isn't that it? Isn't that what Babylon is? It's a confused society. And we look at the race they're running for president. It's in full confusion. You don't know who's telling the truth or who's telling a lie. You just don't know what's going on because it's in confusion. They do not know the right way to go. And deliver every man his soul. So he says, flee it. To do what? To deliver yourself. You're not going to deliver anybody else. You can only deliver yourself. That's the only person you're going to be able to bring out of this confused society that's around us. Be not cut off in her iniquities. See, you're going to be cut off if you stay and stay totally wrapped up in their iniquities. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance and he will render her a recompense. This is the time we know, like we've heard before, and I remember back in the 60s, uh, 72 was a big time. And boy, we really put the effort into it. Maybe that's one of the reasons that we were so impressed in studying and finding out God's Word and cramming it in our minds and going to Bible study in church. And we did uh, two services every day at the feast and a Bible study on Friday nights. And a Passover week, we, did, we spent the week there. We crammed, but 72 came along, didn't it? And there were those. I remember Charles Dorothy said, well, I don't really think 72 is the time. It's more like 82 or 85. Well, something happened in that time, too. Mr. Armstrong died, too, didn't he? But it didn't come. But we're at a time in life now where we see our finances of this country are so shaky that it could fall at any time. Well, they boosted up by printing more paper. But we can see that the time of God's vengeance is at hand. Why are you here? Because you want to be here to save yourself? Verse 45. My people, my people, go you out of the midst of her, out of this system, this way of life, and deliver you every man his soul from the Fierce anger of God. Suddenly God's going to get really angry, and when he gets angry, somebody's going to pay the penalty. Really is going to happen. So we're told that we've got to come out of this because God's not going to be saying, well, okay, I'll just patch you here or there. No, he's going to get angry. And 90% of the church is not listening Friends that we have won't listen. I can remember back in Moses' day, you know, Moses trained as a Egyptian ruler. And one day God 
you know, turned the switch, typed in something in his mind, and he says, hey, these are, I'm part of these people. And he goes out there and sees a guy beating another, beating one of these people, and he took care of him. Maybe not the right way, but he took care of him. He, he saved the man, killed the Egyptians. He had to flee, spent 40 years away from everything, didn't he? He was no part of, of Egypt. For 40 years, keeping sheep and goats. Prison nowhere, absolutely nowhere. He didn't have any contact. So when it came to the point where he started to teach, what did God do? He brought two witnesses, didn't he? Moses and Aaron. So there's two witnesses there. And Moses learned from being away from them. But did the people listen? They told the people. They had to go through four plagues, I believe it was, before they woke up to the fact that God is God. I don't want to see any of us go through any plagues, although we have plagues of one thing or another, and we're starting to go through some of the plagues. Financial disaster is a plague. But you don't want to go through the rest of the plagues that are going to come on mankind. I'm telling you, it's not going to be easy, and you'll wind up having to give your life, if you're going to be a part of it, in a very difficult way. You know, it's hard, and I can say as a, a father of eight children, when I see that these things are happening, I have this pull to want to be where my kids are. I've got 22 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren. Do you think it doesn't hurt to read the Scriptures and see what's going to happen? And you're being pulled. It's kind of a tug of war, being struggled, pulled back to following Satan's way of life. Now, I've got a brother alive and a sister alive still, but I've kind of divorced from them. My brother, we were real close as children growing up. We're a year and a week apart. We're real close. We did everything together. We got in trouble together and we had good times together. But I kind of put that away. I mean, it's not a big deal. I'm not that close anymore. I'm closer to you people than I am to my family. And I have a child I haven't seen in five years. So I still can say I'm closer to some of you. Almost, hopefully, I could be close to all of you than I am to a daughter who I haven't seen in five years. So that daughter doesn't seem to pull me back as much as the daughter that calls me four or five times a week. Or a daughter that comes to the feast and spends a week with me at the feast and calls us consistently and asking for help. So those then become type that follow you. So it's hard, isn't it? We're told... If you go through that whole series, you know, we heard the first tape on the clean and unclean. If you listen to all of that, you find out where Daryl said in that tape, he was inspired to say that this Bible is based on clean, unclean, holy, and unholy. That's what the Bible, all through it, says the same thing, all the way through. Clean and unclean, holy and unholy. Everything in it. 
But it still becomes a difficulty. We are still sucked into television, movies, uh, music, uh, cars and trucks. And you, uh, you know, it's so nice to have a car that you know you can get into and you know you can go to the grocery store and not break down halfway between. <laughs> but, but then you have to think you can also stay here. We have had some people plant gardens here, and uh, we didn't utilize all those gardens, did we? Some of that stuff I can see out there not being used, being having to be plowed under, because we didn't utilize everything that we have. And we've been told we've got to separate ourselves from this world. We have to start, you know, utilizing the things God gives to us. He wants us to be separate. He wants us to share what we have. And so we try to find fault with, well, he didn't ask me to come into his garden. Or she didn't say, get this or that. And so we don't, we go out to the store and buy something because it's more convenient. No, it's not. It's more convenient to love your brother and your sister and spend the time with them. But we're still attached to this world, aren't we? Genesis 19. It's, it's something to think about when you think about being attached to this world. Go back here to Genesis 19. And here in Genesis 19, it's talking about a man who lived in a town. And I understand his desires to stay in this town because he had children and stuff. This is about Lot. You know, God came to Abraham and told him, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham knew where Lot was. And you can see Abraham's idea was, yeah, but what about Lot? What about Lot's wife and Lot's children? He thought about the children. There must have been quite a few relatives of Lot living in that town because the first thing Abraham said, will you spare 50, 40, 30, 20, 10? How about 10? So he had at least have 10 relatives in that town because Abraham brought it down to the point, well, what about my nieces and nephews? And my relatives are who are Lot's children. God said, I'll spare him for ten. But God knew. It's like he knows you individually. God knew. He knew the heart of everybody there. That's why he sent the angels down to destroy it. He knew everyone that was there. Verse 16. It's interesting here in verse 16 or 15. And when the morning, verse 15, when morning arose, because here the angels had come to Lot and said, get out of the town, we're going to destroy the town. And, and Lot was dragging his feet, like we do. We drag, kind of drag our feet to come out of this world. He said, when the morning rose, then the angel hastened to Lot, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters, which are here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of the city. You know, free it. Isn't what he said in Revelation 18.4? Get out or you're going to participate in their sin and their destruction. 
But Lot was hesitating because he had other children. He probably had grandchildren in there. You know, so it's, when I think of that, I, I feel for Lot with 22 grandchildren. Man, I'd love to have them to be out here, but I, you know, that's up to God. That's up to God. And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hands and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hands of the daughters and the Lord being merciful unto him and then brought them forth and set them without the city. Lot hesitated. So God had the angels just grab him by the hands and throw him out. They actually drove him out of town because they didn't want to leave. They still had this, you know, want to be there. So first thing Lot says, well, let me go to Zoar. He still wanted to be a part of what was going on. And God wanted to get him out of there. He still had that desire. Is that what we do? So that's a story for us, isn't it? Do we still want to be entangled with this world? Still want to be a part of what's there? It's hard. It really is hard. Remember Lot's wife, verse 26? But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt, a statue to tell you and me that you can't go back. When worldwide collapsed, people went back. To where? To what they had done sometimes 10, 15, 20, 30 years before. Because they were not committed to doing what God wanted them to do. So we were told in the minor prophets to come out of the cities. I remember that. I can remember coming out here for the first time to keep the feast. And of course my mind was, what a, what a, what a wonderful new calling. We're going to have four, four, five hundred people out here. We had 65 or 70. It wasn't even a good relationship from, from the worldwide, was it? Just a group of people, just a small handful, who heard God's calling and came out here, who heard him say to come out of the cities and go to the fields. Micah 4, verse 10. Micah 4, 10. This is in the Minor Prophet series. This is one of the things that inspired me. When I heard that feast of 2001, which is the second feast that we had here, and Daryl went through these scriptures again, I'm standing there at the last sermon, or the last, last sermon I gave of, of the last great day, and I said, I've got to change. I've got to come out of the city. I made a commitment, didn't I? But then again, like Lot and Lot's wife, we still are pulled toward our grandchildren, our children, 
and the things that we love so much in this spoiled country that we live in. We want to be a part of it. We don't want to give up the wrong things, you know. We had sermons that covered eating too much sweets. You want to get a good lightning on that? Take the book, read the book, Sugar Blues. Read that book. And that wasn't written by anybody in the church. That was some medical people and others that wrote this to give you an eye-opening on eating too much sweets. But we are a country that we just love our candy and our ice cream and our sugar and, you know. But that's where we are. We don't want to give up. We don't want to go back to as natural as possible. I remember back in Houston, we were going out and getting raw milk. And I had a deacon there, a good friend of mine. You know, we played racquetball, or, or handball, not racquetball, handball, and, and did a lot of things together. But he wouldn't drink the raw milk. He had to have homogenized, pasteurized, store-bought stuff. Well, we have an opportunity to get good raw milk. We can get goat's milk or, raw, or cow's milk. Now, I know it's a mental thing, so I haven't had any of the goat's milk, I don't think, unless my, my milk distributor has put a little in and she smiles. <laughs> but, you know, God wants us to get back to Him, and whether it be eating or fellowshipping or telling stories about each other, which the world does. You know, all those things are what God wants us to do. He wants not us, us not to do, I'm sorry. He doesn't want us to do those things. He wants us to get close to Him and be like He is. So here in Micah 4, verse 10, Be in pain and labor to bring forth. And it isn't easy, is it? You ever watched a childbirth? I've been able to be there for six of the eight children. I was even able there to cut the cord and that on one. But it was a lot of effort, doesn't it? It is a lot of effort. Oh yeah, the baby can be started with a lot of joy. And you can watch it grow. But to deliver a baby is a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of straining on the woman's part. Church being the woman, she's straining right now. She's ready to have a child. We are to be born into the family of God. And it says, be in pain and labor, so it's a lot of work, isn't it, to come out of this world. We have to struggle on a daily basis to come out of this world. I'll guarantee you, it's not easy. He says, O daughter of Zion, speaking of the church, like a woman in travail. For how shall you go forth out of the city and shall dwell in the fields? It was a struggle, wasn't it, for you and I to make that decision to leave a maybe a two or three hundred thousand dollar home or like my wife and I, a fifty thousand dollar home. But but here we were with our family. We had all but two of our or three of our children, living right there in the area. And most of the grandchildren were right there. You could see them all the time. But God 
punched the figures in and the computer started working and saying, you're going to have to leave your kids. You're going to have to leave your house. We had a beautiful little home with a swimming pool and, you know, and 50 trillion billion mosquitoes and 100, billion, 100 million roaches and stuff. So that part was easy, let me tell you, to walk away from that. But living the family wasn't as, wasn't as easy. It was a struggle. It was a, it was a travail. We had to go. God said, come out of it and go to the field. And I read that scripture. And I heard that scripture brought to me. And I said, Mary, in 2001, I have to leave. And so we went home and thought, well, we could take our time and sell the house. And it didn't sell. And nobody came by. And things just didn't seem like they're going to work. And, and then I made that commitment. I'm going to leave on this date, and you tell Barbara and Dale we're coming by on this date and pick them up. And the house sold just like that. So, you know, God hears you. He, he said, okay, you've committed to it. Now you're carrying it forth, and he takes care of you. But it was a struggle. Let me tell you, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And you shall go even to Babylon, and there shall you be delivered. So we're still in Babylon, aren't we? But he's going to deliver us if we're ready to make that change. We have to be ready to make the change. Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 50, verse 4. In those days and in that time, said the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, and they and their children of Judah together, going and weeping, they shall go to seek the Lord their God. So we came out here, maybe with tears of, of leaving our children, leaving a community where we had everything. You know, I could walk to the grocery store. I lived that close. It was only like six, seven hundred feet away. They built a great, big, brand new Publix grocery store. Everything right there. I could have walked to it. And we moved to the new house, and, and we were still within walking distance of everything. But God wants us to come out weeping and seeking our God. So he brought us here to seek him. To seek him and not me personal pleasures, my number one thoughts, what I want to do. And, some, and it's a struggle still, isn't it? Because some of us have lost jobs, and now we get another job. Some of us are working and not making a lot of money, but we're working at what we feel God has told us to do. And so we labor at that and try to do it. And it's a struggle. It's still hard. God has never given somebody something good to do without first making sure that they will follow him. And so, look at Moses. Forty years leading sheep. Here's a well-educated man. He could be like a doctor in something in this day and time. A president almost, or striving, or governor of a state, or whatever. Took him out to where? To the desert. He lived in tents. Took care of sheep. 
For 40 years it took Moses to finally get to that point that God says, okay, now I can use you. And then he used him. Well, hopefully we don't have to go through 40 years. I don't think I can live that long. <laughs> and most of us couldn't, could he? But we've been here for eight years, haven't we? Been on this property now for six. We've been struggling to grow gardens. We've been struggling to try to grow family relations. We've been struggling, as the sermonette pointed out, not to nitpick or to hurt someone else's feelings, <laughs> which is easy, you know, you know, James. We open our mouth and the wrong things comes out, and then you don't. It's it's so hard to bring that back in. In fact, you, it really you can't do it. You can't bring it back. You have to eat a lot of crow, maybe. And, Apologize and then strive hard to rebuild confidence and love if you just break it down one time. So we come out here weeping, didn't we? Weeping for to seek our God. Verse 5, And they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces withered, saying, Come, and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. That's what we're here for. We've built a perpetual covenant, an everlasting covenant with our Creator. He doesn't take it lightly when you break covenants. Let me tell you, He won't take it very lightly. You've made a perpetual covenant, one that will not cease. You come out here seeking His face. My people have been lost sheep. Well, look at church. <laughs> look at the church of God with over 400 splinter groups. They're lost sheep. Again, from the minor prophets says, your king, is, your king is dead and your counselor has perished. What is our counselor? When it... When Mr. Armstrong died, the church went to pot. And right now, the people are like lost sheep. I have people call us and talk to us, and they, they don't know which way to go. This guy says this, and this guy says that, and that one says something else, and this is saying something else. And, and what do we do? They're lost because... We've been split apart. We've lost our counselor and our king. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. And so they hear this, that, and the other thing. And, they, and so they just go different directions. And it's the leadership, the ones God chose to be a leader, is leading the people in the wrong direction. A lot of times this. Like it says, it's for money or for power or prestige, you know. Is that it says, the lust of the eyes, you know, what I can see, the lust of the flesh, everything I can get into me, and the pride of life. I'm the greatest. Well, we're here. Maybe we're not the greatest bunch of people, but we're here as a group of people that are setting up a place for someone else. But 
don't let it go to your head because you are replaceable. If you don't do it God's way, you are replaceable. God can put someone else in there. So like I've said so many times, there's 144 crowns. Some of them have already been given, you know, or set aside earmarks for different people, Moses and people like that. But there's a whole group of these crowns that are still sitting out there. It, doesn't have, it may have your name on it right now, but it's only in pencil. It can be easily erased, and another name can be put in. It hasn't been engraved into it yet. So it tells us to ask the way to Zion. That's what these, Zion, these uh, uh, minor prophets was, asking us the way, and we said, well, which is the way to Zion? And so we went out there looking for Zion. The shepherds have caused us to go astray. And they have turned them away on the mountains or the governments. They have all gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. And so people, you know, when we were in worldwide, we were pretty much fixed. We were in our house, our, our, our calling, you know. We were back in the 60s, and of course we then began to lose it in the 70s and 80s and 90s and when it fell apart. But they've forgotten their resting place. All that uh, found them have devoured them. So look at the people who've been devoured. Sad, isn't it? I can think of a lot of people I've known in the church for 45, 46 years, I think it is now. People that are no longer around. These people have been devoured. They've been taken away. Uh, see, their adversity said, again, struggling with words, huh? we often, uh, we often not, because they have sinned against the Lord, uh, their habitation is of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. So we've lost the way, we've sinned against our God because we don't know true justice. We don't know the right direction to go. We don't listen to the right people. Verse 8, remove out of the midst of Babylon. Again here in Jeremiah, we're told to move out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the goats before the flock. So here again, they used goats to lead the sheep. They were a whole bunch of goats out here that are ready to lead the others to God. So we call it a setup crew, don't we? So we're a setup crew. But like goats, who they use the goats to get the goats to go a direction, and the sheep just want to follow right along behind them. Well, that's what we're to do, help them, a kind of a setup crew. Well, we're not here, brethren, just to save our self or any other part of our body. 
Just say, we're not just here for ourselves. Let's go to Luke 17. I think that's where I wanted to be. Luke. Now, Luke 17 just tells us to remember Lot's wife. She wanted to go back. She wanted to be a part of something else. Whether that was what I was wanting or not. Anyway, we're not here to save ourselves. God wanted us to come out to to take care of his flock that are to come. We don't know how many are going to be there. What, 7,000, 15,000? Whatever God decides. But somehow he's got us out here training us so that we can help them. But we can't help each other or help them if we find ourselves not doing as we've heard in the sermonette. If we find ourselves doing the wrong things as the sermonette was pointing out and not doing the right things which which what we should be doing. So how we have to work on those things. So why are you here? To save yourself? To or to save what God's got us to save. Hosea two. Here Again, from the minor prophets, Daryl has really brought this forth and really wanted us to look to him, look to God. Verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her unto the wilderness and speak comfortably, comfortably to her. So God brought you here so that he can speak to you. Too many of the people in the church of God are not ready to hear. You know, like Paul said in Romans, he said in Romans 5, I came in to give you meat. So you are here to receive meat. And I'll tell you, I think we've been given a lot of meat. Tender meat. Tough meat, but we've been given meat to eat. The majority of the church is not ready for that, are they? They're not ready. We sent out the Passover papers. They rejected it. We tell them about the calendar. They reject it. We want it's too much for us. It's too strong. Paul had to go back and teach these people milk. Bring them along because they'd never spent the time blowing the dust out of the Bible. That's what you have to do. If you're a young person, I'm telling you right now, if it takes it, right out the Scriptures. You hear the sermons and they are telling you what's going to happen, listen to them again. Because it's important to you. It's important to you. Let's go to Luke 21. 
Luke 21. God told us. He's called you. He's selected you to do something. Luke 21, verse 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem accomplished with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Is this nation being encompassed right now? How many friends do we truly have? Or are they really the enemies? They, like uh, Brutus, who loved his emperor, at least to his face, and sticking a knife in his back. Well, that's our, that's our friends, you know, whatever countries they're from. You see it compassed with armies. Know that destruction is close. Destruction is really close. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Again, he's saying, you know, when you see this, come out of the city, flee to the place the mountains, because there's going to be more protection from God where he chooses than in the cities. Flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of it depart out and let them that are in the countries enter therein. So God's telling you to come out of this system. He doesn't, doesn't mince words. He sees it, tells you if you see these things happening. For in those days uh, be the days of vengeance that all things which are written be fulfilled. Woe to them that are with children and or child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. So there's coming a time. We're in the very start of it. We're in the very starts of it. And God's giving us an opportunity to come out. So you didn't come out here, I'm telling you, just to save your hide. You came out here to learn. You came out here to make changes in your life. Zechariah 8. Zechariah 8, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I am returned to Zion and will deliver in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So it's going to be his government. He said, he's going to take care of us. Thus says the Lord of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem and every man with his staff in his hand for a very age. You know, it's reported that we're to come out here and to build towns without walls. No, we don't have a wall around here, do we? Got a fence to keep our animals in. And do we have children playing in the street? It is fantastic to me to look out here. You know, the other day I went out here and one little girl was riding her four-wheeler with no light on. But there were kids playing in the streets in night and daytime. I see the kids running up around. I see the old people. Well, we, we don't have our canes out there yet. But if it goes much longer, we're going to have canes because it says they're going to be old men of great age. So there's only a few of us of great age. Most of you are young people. Some of you, I look out there and your kids. 
for us that are older, we say, well, there's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren in some cases. And the streets of the city shall be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. And I see that happening. To me, that is an inspiration and a, a fulfillment that said, come out of the cities and out of the, out of the, the countries around, so we have people coming from the other countries and coming to dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. And we have our children playing. And to me, that's saying God's had his hand in it. His hand is in here. Our boys and our girls, and I see these kids, and it's so fantastic to know we don't have to worry about some mentally challenged person because you can't use the words they are. So you have to use mentally challenged. They're mentally, and they are challenged, taking our children. We don't have to worry about that happening out here or breaking in because God's promised us protection. So our old people can walk out here at night. Uh, I don't feel any problem to get out here any time in the middle of the night and walk around. Well, we have some coyotes out there, but I think basically the coyotes are afraid of humans. But I don't worry about walking from my house down that corner and no light, you know, maybe a moonlight or no moonlight. Don't worry about it. Because we're in Jerusalem, or type of Jerusalem, as Hebrews 12.25 says, that we are, the church is Jerusalem. We are God's family. And I don't worry about one of you younger guys, stronger than me, whipping up on me. I would if I was in the cities. There's many cities right now. And I, and I think back of Fort Myers back 25 or 30 years ago. It wasn't a very big town. And yet one of the members of the church was walking downtown Fort Myers and was mugged in the streets, downtown. And if you go to the mall in Fort Myers, the women that work in the mall and have to get their cars after the mall closes have to have a guard go with them to their vehicle or they will be molested in one way or another. That don't happen here. So we are here getting a little foretaste of God's way of life. So you've made a commitment to come out here because God said to come out here, so you committed to it. Probably ought not to go through this part, but I'll get through part of it anyway. No running out of time. Have you calculated your commitment? Have you sat down and calculated that commitment that you made? Remember, it is a perpetual commitment. A covenant that you made with your Creator when you came out here that you were going to do it His way and you're going to let Him show you the direction to go. Have you calculated that commitment? What it really means? Turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.
verse 14. Therefore, he said, Awake you that sleep. Isn't that what he said to the ten virgins? Awake? You're all asleep? He said, Wake up? Remember that sermon, first time that Daryl went through? Isaiah 50, uh, 51 rather, and he said, wake up, wake up, and he got to the second, and that was 51.9, and then 51.17, he said, wake up, wake up, and every time he banged the, compo- the, the podium, or the lectern rather, in 52, verse 1, he said, wake up, wake up, put on strength, O Zion. So here in Ephesians, we're told to wake up out of sleep. Recognize your commitment that you made. Calculate what you've said. Think about those things because God said, I've made a perpetual covenant with you. When you coveted Him to do it His way and to come out here and to do whatever He said, maybe we don't agree with it all the time. Maybe we don't see it. If you're like me, sometimes you're, it's harder to grasp some of these things. But he expects us to make a change. He said, awake out of sleep and arise from the dead. Christ shall give you light. So we come here ready for not pablum, because we're no longer babes, not milk, but for meat. And you made a commitment that I'm going to let God tell me what I need to do and I'm going to change. He said, come out of the city and say, okay, I will come out of that city. That is a commitment that you've made. He said, come out of Babylon, a commitment that you made. Now you have to calculate it. Am I going to do it in God's way? Am I going to go 100% or... 90% or 80 or 10%. You know, you can be like that old guy who was wanting the world here, and so he had his one foot in the grave and he's standing on a banana peel and he's still wanting to go the world's way. And you don't know how close he is to sliding all the way into the grave. Well, God says come out of the world all the way. It's really tough. But we made that commitment <clears throat> to making that change. And Christ said, if you do it, then I will give you the light so you better understand. I'll make it so you can understand. But you've got to be willing to, to do it His way. That verse 15 from the NIV says, Be careful then how you live. Be careful how you live not as unwise, but as wise people. You see, verse 15 said in the King James, See then that you walk circumspect, not as fools, but wise. So since you're here and you made that commitment, it said, Be careful how you live. Take great care. The New Living Translation says, So be careful how you live not as fools, but as those who are wise. So that God wants you to make and fulfill that commitment. So you've got to be 
calculating that commitment. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So here he's telling us, still a lot of time left, so redeem every minute that you have. The New Living Translation says, make the most of every opportunity for doing good in those evil days. So do the most possible. I used to tell my children, whatever you do, do it to the best you can. Do the best you possibly can. Not everybody can do it the same way. Not all of us have the same capabilities. Verse 17, Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what is the will of God. In the New Living Translation says, Don't act thoughtlessly. You know, therefore, be, be not uh, unwise. He said, Don't act thoughtlessly. Give it thought. Think it through. But try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Try to do it. Try to understand it. Sometimes it takes a little bit more effort. A lot of effort in my case. You know, you have to hit the books harder. You have to hear the sermons more often. And you have to repent an awful lot. You know? Verse 18. Be and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. So, you know, if you're, whatever you do, you don't want to do, you know, if you're drunk, it's ex, it, it, it's in excess. So you want to do things in excess, like correct your children, but excess would be to literally beat them till they're practically bleeding. You know, there's, there's a balance in there. In the New Living Translation, verse 18 through 20 goes, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. You have to let God be in charge. Then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your heart. And you will always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of Emmanuel. So if you're not drunk and if you've done these things and let God's Spirit control you, that's yielding to God. That's yielding to our Creator. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. So, He's given us jobs. Maybe we're not thinking we can do that job, but he, if God gives it to you, He says, give it all you got. Do it all you possibly can. And He'll help you with the rest. You know, if you're digging a ditch, do the best ditch digging you possibly can. Be the best ditch digger out there. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might because there comes a time 
for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you go. Sooner or later, you'll die. He says, give it your 100%. Give everything that God gives you to do 100%. And he'll help you with that. Romans 13. So you got, you must calculate your commitment. And part of that calculation is doing it the best you possibly can. You're not all going to be designers of great things. You might only be a welder. You might only be a ditch digger. You might only be a person who's out there and plant a garden and, and, but you do the best you can and then God will help you with it. So do the best you possibly can. Romans 13 verse 11. And that, knowing the time that it now is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed, when we believed originally. So you, down the line, you know, I remember Paul Flatt gave a sermon, had to be back in 65 maybe, new out of college, been pretty, pretty much, uh, I guess he was a student body president and stuff, and he went out there and he talked about, at that time, when you look at history, and look at time, he said, and he was standing on the stage, and he said, what time, and this is in the 60s, and we're a lot closer than that now. He said, from that side over to two feet from the wall, he says, that's history. Just two feet is what's left of life. That was, what, 40 years ago? 40 years ago. How much closer to that time are we right now? And I know for, mo- for all of us that are older, and anybody, you know, because we've had a young man, um, I'm not sure how old he was, killed on a motorcycle. Young man. That time was already passed for him, hadn't it? But for each one of us, that time for what we can make a change in is only a heartbeat away. So you have to do the best you possibly can and live the day as if this was the last day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of tomorrow. What are you doing right now? Where do you stand at this moment in time? Are you calculating the commitment that you gave to God when you said, and, and I, when I heard those minor prophets and I said, that's the way. That's where God is showing. That's the direction because there's all these other places out here and, and they don't seem like they're much different than what I left. But I said, that's the way. I'm going to go that way. And I can remember telling Daryl, as long as you're doing it God's way, I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to do it that way. So I made that commitment. I've got to stay there. I can't just say, well, you looked at me ugly today, so I got my feelings hurt. <laughs> or you gave somebody a, a sermon and I thought I ought to have it. Or you gave somebody a deer or something and I didn't get one, you know. Now, I made a commitment to go all the way. I can't let 
things bother me, I can't, I gotta let pass. Pass is past. It's like spilt milk on the ground. You can't retrieve it. So let it go. Let it go. Just change. Do it today right, the right way. I made a commitment. Did you make a commitment? Are you following a perpetual commitment? Are you calculating that commitment? It might, there might be more to it than that. It might be more out there than what you think. It might be hard. Never easy, remember? We're in the church. The church is the mother. It's like having a baby. You're down to that last, final few hours. Sometimes it takes a lot of hours. Sometimes it's only very short. Depends on the woman. Depends on the, the growth of the baby. All these different factors are all unfold. But we're like that. We're in the church. It's difficult. It's a struggle. But we've committed to do it God's way. We've committed to come here. We've committed to saying, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. Yes, husband. I'm going to do it your way. And so, don't complain. Don't gripe. Don't find fault with each other, but build each other up. Study and contemplate. Think on your commitment to doing it God's way. Maybe it's not your way, but it's God's way. Else, why are you here? So, I've got much more, but I'm going to leave it there. Maybe I'll get a chance to finish it up. I had ten pages, so I said i got a lot more. <laughs> but calculate your commitment. You committed to God. Calculate it. Go over this food that God's giving you. You're getting meat and not milk. If God wanted you to have milk, you'd be someplace else. But he brought you here because he knew you could take the meat. Don't spit it out.